Well, hey there, everybody. This is Nurse Mo, and welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. And I've got something really special for you guys today. We'll be talking about emergency room nursing, especially from the context of a new grad nurse. So if you're interested in exploring emergency room nursing, want to see what it's really like, Hang in there. We'll get to that in just a moment. But first, as always, I like to take a moment to thank all of you who rate and subscribe and review the podcast. And I love to give my listener shout out. So this one goes out to Golden Word, who writes, stellar content, easy to listen to. Thank you, Nurse Mo. Your podcast has been so helpful. You have a great voice and personality that shines through even via audio. You make it enjoyable to relearn nursing. You share such great information, both overview and summaries while integrating critical thinking to the mix. I highly recommend this podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to leave that review. It means so much to me to hear that the podcast is helping others. So thank you again so very much. So in today's episode, I promised you guys something really cool. So today I'm doing an interview with Michael Smith from the Real Talk School of Nursing podcast. So if you haven't yet started listening to the Real Talk School of Nursing podcast, go check it out. Michael is an amazing voice in the world of nursing. He shares a lot of real world tips and advice. It's kind of like going along on a job shadow with someone who works in the ER. He also talks a lot about life balance and how nursing and school and life all come together. So go check that out. So without further ado, let's get into the interview. Okay, Michael, I want to start with you telling me a little bit about your background and what led you into nursing. Well, first off, I want to say thank you for bringing me on to your podcast. I've been a longtime follower of yours. And as a nursing student, bought a bunch of your products. And and uh, I think you and I communicated with each other early on. And I said, you know, hey, I bought this. And you're like, oh, no. Oh, no, you need to update that. So I think you sent me some some updated stuff after I started with the podcast. And that was fantastic. So if if there's anybody out there who's listening to the podcast the Straight A Nursing Podcast, you should absolutely go out and get some of her uh, learning aids because they're fantastic. And I use them, which were very helpful for classes. Well, that's great. Thanks for for the the promo. (laughs) So like one of the things that separates you and I, because we're both podcasters or, well, I am a podcaster and you do a lot more than that. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that separates our two podcasts is that you are content driven. Um, but you also go into stuff that's that's not content driven, and I'm and that's kind of the space that that my podcast lives in is that we, um, I, I just do the the life outside of school because that to me that has so much impact on school, and I can't and and you know the things at home. It's the it's the you know uh, making sure that you have. Uh, a good study space, make sure that you have all of those things mm-hmm. in place. Oh yeah. That's also that, that important. Can, that can have such a huge impact on you as a, as a, as a student when you, when you don't have those things in place. So that's the thing that separates us too. And so I, I totally appreciate the, the, the content providers like you, because I don't do that at all <laughs> because I have people who are smart 
like <laughs> you to do it. <laughs> so that's the, that's the that's the benefit. So if anybody is listening to either of our podcasts, definitely go because Nurse Mo has so much amazing stuff, and you should absolutely go and get some of that stuff. So to answer your question, um, introduce you to myself. So um, I was an infantry officer in the, in, in the U.S. Army for about 10 years, and I was in combat, and I'm a Purple Heart recipient. And, um, and, and what that means is that I was wounded in combat when my vehicle was struck by a roadside bomb. Wow. And uh, that kind of that was kind of the 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 turning point for me uh, from being able to see myself only as a warfighter, only as a combat guy, only as an infantryman and seeing myself maybe like maybe there's stuff that I shouldn't be doing now. I shouldn't say that there's 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 other things that I could be doing. And, and that kind of, that, that, that was the, the impetus um, for my nursing career. Um, so I, I, I exited the military and did uh, various jobs trying to find myself. I took prereqs for school. I applied to a few different programs. And uh, the first time I applied, I didn't make it, uh, didn't make the cut for my first application. And then, um, you know, just try to keep working. My kids were born, you know, as life happens. And, uh, and then I applied for the next round and I was accepted into three different programs, like a year or two after I can't remember, um, mm -hmm. and, uh, and got into the program that it was really targeting. And so that really helped. Um, and then my medical career, if I can do that kind of quickly, mm -hmm. um, I, I've, I've always worked in the ER and I've worked in the ER since, uh, 2016 when I became an EMT, um, and let's see, I've been at a L1 trauma center for closing up on two years. Um, and I went into a direct entry master's of science, uh, master's of science and nursing program. Um, and if there's question about that, all that means is that I, I wrote a lot of papers. And, <laughs> and I think we like, went to the same type of program. Oh my, God, oh my God. It was so <laughs> much, it was so much research and so many papers. And I did a master's thesis, what I, which, which I, loved and hated but yeah and um i kind of got typecast into my master's thesis subject uh which i did my utmost to avoid uh which was veteran suicide mm. which is a a subject that is close to my heart and that's one of the reasons that i wanted to avoid it because i was afraid that i couldn't be unbiased in in what i was searching for um you know and and i won't go into that for the same reason i don't want to go i didn't want to do it in the first place but you know, in the end, I was too, too passionate about it, and I have too many personal experiences that are unfortunately the majority of the experiences of veterans, even after doing all that research. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, so uh, the podcast started in uh, like February or March 2016, and I took it over in November 2018. And uh, generally speaking, um, I'm really bad at social media in my personal life. So I've gotten rid of it and then just focused on just the, just the podcast stuff. And you're and making some great memes. They're hilarious. I, I have really enjoyed that. And then once <laughs> I really had, funny. so I, I had a co-host come on for a little while and, and God bless her. Like, uh, she was, she was, um, the impetus for a lot of change, but I wasn't ready for 
so many changes in such a short amount of time. And, and she was really, she's just, she was, she was really ambitious and she's just like, I got to do my own thing. And I'm like, you know, God bless you to go, you know, go, mm-hmm. go forth and do great things. And, and on her exit, uh, she's just like, here's one of the apps that I saw that can be helpful for making memes. And I was like, and finally I could put, uh, I could put forth content that I had always seen in my head and never been able to make. Mm-hmm. So that was That's really funny. fun. Yeah, no, it was really, you know, it was like, I always, always had lots of ideas, but I didn't know how to make them easily. And then, you know, now I do, so I can do a bunch of stupid stuff and it's, and it's funny now because, uh, people are, it seems like people are so easily offended by everything. Like they're very sensitive to things. Um, and I've really tried to avoid that because, you know, cause I want to be accessible to everybody and right. I want, I want people to be able to see this and be like, Oh my gosh, that's ridiculous. And, you know, and ridiculous and funny and relatable. And, uh, so I've tried to avoid a lot of that and, and thus far, thus far remained relatively, <laughs> relatively successful in avoiding a lot of the pitfalls. So, yeah. So that was fun. Yeah, you hit 5,000 followers. I know. On I your Instagram. I couldn't believe it. Like I, I looked at it one day and it was like 498. Yeah, it was close. And then and then like a few days later, it was like 4,999. And then I was like, oh my, I just need one more. I need one more. And the next time I looked at it, it was like four like uh, four, nine, seven, eight or something like what happened? <laughs> That's awesome. Then, so if you guys want to follow Michael's uh, Instagram, it's real talk nursing and it's hilarious. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah. No, it's been, it's been a fun ride and uh, yeah, it's been, it's been, uh, it's been weird through all of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but I think it's been fun and, and, and I like the, I kind of like the outlet of, being able to just like bring experiences that I have as a, as a nurse and being, being able to relate those back to uh, like my experiences as a nursing student. Cause obviously mm-hmm. I'm a nursing school podcast. So it's right. It's, it's, it's fun to be able to kind of like, okay, remember all those things you worried about in nursing school? Well, here's the truth, you know, <laughs> here's a whole bunch of other things to worry about, right? <laughs> Don't just wait until you get into the actual profession. You're screwed. No, you're not really screwed. You're not really screwed. No, no, <laughs> no. It's it's different. But yes, I totally get what you're saying. No, it it is. It's um, the difference between nursing school and nursing is, I think the pressure changes. Um, I think nursing school today is a lot of um, people who are um, obsessed with being perfectionists. And there's a bunch of like, there's this feeling out there in nursing school that is, that is really like, um, it's about like, if you screw up once you're done, oh, you're yeah. done and you have to be perfect. And there's way too much of the, there's way too much of the, the idealism about what nursing is. It's, you know, it's all going to be sunshine and rainbows and, Patients are going to appreciate you and all of your experiences as a nurse are going to be amazing and joy filled and satisfying. And that's not true. That's so not true. And I think 
what I will typically see students go through is this like shift where when they're in school, it's sunshine and roses and just the idealism. And then when mm. they hit the reality of it, there's a huge culture shock. I mean, there we can is. talk about that for an hour. <laughs> for 10 the hours. culture shock of your I've patients made, don't I, appreciate you. They're going to be jerks. You're not going to be perfect. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. A million other and things. And it's okay. Yeah. And it's okay. Totally and, then, okay. And, and I, and I think that's one of the differences between that's one of the pressure differences, I think, between mm -hmm. like nursing school and the actual nursing profession is that is that in nursing school, the expectation that nursing mm -hmm. students have of themselves uh, somewhat supported by. Toxic instructors, we'll just say toxic instructors uh, that you have to be perfect mm -hmm. and you don't have to be perfect like let me let me rephrase you have that feeling that you have to be perfect in nursing school and and the expectation once you become a nurse is that mistakes are part of learning right like you don't want to make errors errors are different yeah errors is is you're supposed to give uh i don't know um 10 of lasix and you give 40 of lasix or something like that or you're supposed to give uh, uh, you know, lactated ringers as a, as a bolus and you're giving normal saline. Like, yeah. is that a, well, maybe that's a bad example because that's probably not that big of a deal, but like medication, like medication. <laughs> but it would errors, get you in trouble in nursing school. It would, it would it get a huge it, it trouble. Would get you in major trouble in nursing school. Maybe even expel. Right thing, <laughs> which, which obviously doesn't, you know, um, those who live in glass houses shouldn't throw rocks. Like, right. Like, show me the nursing instructor who never made a mistake as mm -hmm. a nursing student, who never made a mistake as a as a nurse. And I will show you the the the, the nursing instructor who never actually practiced nursing. <laughs> exactly. It's like exactly. Uh, I, I, ha I had uh, I was a big horse person uh, in a previous life. And, and uh, people would be like, well, I've never I've never fallen off a horse. I'm like, so you've never ridden one? Because that's the only way you've never fallen off a horse. Good analogy. I like Good that. Analogy. I think it. Yeah, I think it is important that we remind students to give themselves some grace. And I know grace. with your podcast, um, talk a little bit about school life balance and how your podcast and your approach to that promotes that school life balance, which is so important. So, um, I think the 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 proper balance for me, if I'm if I'm talking about work or, or school life balance, the proper balance to me is imbalance. Like if you want to make it through school, you know, it, okay, let me, let me back up. My, my journey through school follows, you know, a similar pattern to everybody. Everybody goes through, through, through the same three stages, which is prereqs, you know, nursing school when you're, when you're in the thick of it, you know, NCLEX prep and new grad. And so I try to, I try to follow that pattern with my, with my podcast and I try to do it. So, so somebody who's listening to it can, can get something out of it, no matter what stage they're in. And then if, if I'm lucky, they'll go back and they'll listen to it again when they're at a different stage mm -hmm. and maybe pick something else up. So it's, right. so it's, there, there's some, there's some universality to it and there's some there's, there's a legacy value. Um, 
So my overarching theme is that there's more to nursing school than just learning content because life continues on whether or not you're in school. And it's my belief that that's, you know, when that's out of balance and, and again, I'll, I'll talk about that balance later, but uh, when that's out of balance or things outside of school are taking away from school, that needs to be fixed. Um, because when you're in school, I think too many people believe that school and life should be like 50, 50. I don't understand why I can't go out with friends. I don't understand why I can't, you know, three nights a week have dinner with my spouse and, and have a sit down dinner for an hour and a half with my family. And I feel like I'm ignoring my kids. If you're an, if you're a new mom, I mean, Mm -hmm. the nursing profession is, is female dominated and, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of stress for, uh, for women to have both career and family at the same time. And that can be a really hard balance to, Mm -hmm. to catch, I think. And so, you know, when they're, you know, for, for me, I was a non-traditional student. I was 35, I think, or I don't know, 30 something when I started nursing school and I had twin two-year-olds at home. Wow. And, and that was a, and that was hard. And if I was a mom in those same circumstances, it would be very difficult to be both a mom and a nursing student at the same time, because the balance in nursing school is imbalance. Um, so people think that they should be able to balance school life, social life and sleep. And, and some I just, people have to work on top of that. And, and work, and yes, work and work, yeah. and, which, which I kind of include in my mind as part of personal, personal mm-hmm. life. And I just don't think that's realistic. Um, You know, nursing school isn't like being an English major or like a philosophy major, you know, for those of you who are in a brick and mortar four year traditional Mm -hmm. BSN program at a, you know, at a traditional university or college. Uh, This is a serious education for like a serious profession. And the balance, again, in my opinion, should be tipped heavily, heavily towards school. Um, and so you're going to have to say no to things like social engagements, you know, with friends and family, and you're going to have to sacrifice sleep in order to graduate successfully from nursing school. So again, the, the, the balance is Mm -hmm. imbalanced towards school. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's an expectation students maybe should have from the beginning. Mm. So they're not so blindsided by it. And I think if you plan for that imbalance, you could still have a little bit of your life versus yeah. what I did was where I had no life. <laughs> I was that perfectionist student with that unrealistic pressure. And I would go months without seeing friends or. Were, how, how old were you when you started your, your initial entry program? Like my prereqs or actual the nursing program itself? No, that your yeah, your initial licensure program. I was I'm gonna out myself here. I was 38. Okay. Okay. I think so, I was, you so know, I had already been to college once. Right, right. Yeah, and me too. 
it was so much more fun the first time. <laughs> <laughs> Youth is wasted on the young, I tell you. I had, yeah, it was great. I was way more <laughs> into the social aspect. And, you know, I got a, you know, a fun degree. I got a degree in communications and worked in <gasps> advertising. That's you my degree. See? Yeah, it's yeah. a great degree. Um, <laughs> probably why we do this now, right? No, um, I, but no. then, yeah, when I went back to school for nursing, <laughs> it was, whew, and I kind of lost myself in that. I didn't have imbalance. I had, I was a hundred percent school. And, and I, and I think that's, I think that's easier to make that kind of sacrifice when you're a little bit older, because you can, you go, cause I'm here for a purpose. I'm not here because my mom told me or my parents have some expectations or something like that. You're, you're there because you as an adult, as a, as a Mm well-established adult, in you know your own household and you've been doing your own thing for 10 15 20 years you know you can do that but but i think i think where people get trapped up i think where people get uh the trouble that people have is that you know there are people who are who will say be like but i know this one person who did xyz they did nursing school and they worked 40 hours a week and still spent time with friends and still got to go out and still got a 4.0 you know and i'm not saying those people aren't out there because i know a few of them and i like one of them worked for my or one of them was in my cohort and Mm -hmm. i hated her guts (laughs) because she was so good at everything everything no she was she was like she was um I think 10 or 15 years older than I was like, so a very, you know, like Mm -hmm. well, well established in her career. She had three grown children, you know, who are in their teen, not grown children, but, but in their teenage years, not not toddlers, but like still very involved. Like they still had sports and Mm -hmm. friends and social lives and trying to keep up with that stuff in the teenage years, I think can be, can be challenging. And and did this and she and she worked a full-time job and she and she literally like stood i mean figuratively literally figuratively stood on the desk of one of our instructors again not literally don't do this uh <laughs> and 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 had a and had a cow because uh she was going to miss a 4.0 you know in this in pharmacology because this you know because we had a new instructor a bunch of a bunch of drama or whatever Mm -hmm. but like like i mean this was a huge deal to her and i'm like and i'm over here going i'm cool with 85 exactly (laughs) Exactly. pass is a pass baby pass is a pass um okay i want to talk a little bit because a lot of my students are you know thinking about their options when they graduate and i get a lot of questions about um, specifically, can a new grad work in an emergency room? And earlier you said L1. And can you mm-hmm. explain what that means? Because they may not know what that means just yet. Um, so there's there's different levels of trauma centers. So like a, a level four or a level five trauma center. Those are the, your, your like critical access hospitals. Um, and those are uh, those are going to be like out in out in the very rural areas. Um, they have less resources. They, they don't have all the specialists who, who come in. Um, and as you get higher, you know, as you get higher towards like an L2, L1, um, you have 
you know, trauma surgeons who show up to codes, you have, you know, uh, respiratory therapy, you have general surgery, you have all of these resources that show up every time a critical rig comes in. And so I work at the, at the highest level trauma center and I'm still, I'm still under two years. So I don't do more of the, the, and it, cause it takes several years for you to get the experience to where they start training you for, uh, for that, that mm-hmm. level of, um, of care. And, and I'm right on the cusp of that. Like they're like the, the manager and, and uh, my supervisors are like, we just got to get some time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this is the worst possible time <laughs> in order to make time. Right. So, so I'm, you know, so I do a lot of the triage and triage for us is like one of the pieces to that critical care. Cause you have to be able to uh, recognize um, the difference between, and this is an oversimplification between sick and not sick. Mm-hmm. It's right. a super over, over complication. Like this, somebody who's like, this person is septic and they're going to have a, they're going to have a lactic, you know, of, I don't know, three or something like that versus somebody who's very um, histrionic and maybe doesn't have anything wrong with them, but appears to be very sick. Like mm-hmm. you have to be able to tell the difference and it takes time to, to develop that, that level of discernment um, prior to having labs, lab values. Right. Um, so that can take, that can take us some experience. So, so, uh, L1 to L5. L1 is the the highest level trauma center. So that's when you have the most amount of resources, and um, uh, and can take care of everything from gunshot wounds to uh, severe sepsis to strokes to uh, severe s- seizure disorders. I mean the the gamut. That's mm-hmm. that's that's those are the the ERs that are taking care of literally everything. And and that's why it takes some time to get to that level. So I am not, I'm not, um, uh, coming to you from a, oh, I have 20 years of experience. Mm-hmm. Blah, blah. I'm still, I'm still kind of in that. I'm not a new grad. Right. Uh, I've, I've got, I've got an extreme amount of volume of patients mm-hmm. on my side. Uh, but I'm not yet at the, at the point where I'm taking care of the, the trauma patients mm-hmm. who are coming in and it's like, we're, we're trans I'm not transfusing four liters of, of whole blood into a patient right now. Mm-hmm. That's not my level of, that's not my level of experience yet. Okay. I think it's important that students hear, cause I think a lot of them think that once they graduate and get their license and get a job, they're going to be expected to have this vast amount of knowledge. Oh my and gosh. a lot of them are really scared about that. So I did. Yeah. It's a great reminder that especially in critical care areas like the ER, like the ICU, you're kind of considered new for years. Like I considered myself a new ICU nurse for five years. Oh, absolutely. And then after about five years, I started to feel like when I showed up for work, I could handle whatever came through the door. The ER though is a way less controlled environment. (laughs) Oh, for sure. I, I, uh, the the nurses that I respect the most are the float pool nurses. Oh yeah, uh, the, the nurses who can go who can go both you know in a single shift, literally in a single shift, can go from the ER 
into the ICU and flourish in both of those environments. Yeah. Those are the nurses, you know, and, and, and that's a, and that's a career path that I think it's overlooked way too often mm-hmm. is float pool. Um, Cause if they will take you, I think that is such a wealth that is such an incredible foundation of, of, of experience that you could get that I think it's overlooked yeah. a great deal. But, um, but I also, but I wonder, I wonder from my experience as an ER nurse, if, um, if it took you five years because of the, um, is it because of part of it is like the length of stay, how long patients are expected to be with in, in an ICU, um, the, the, the volume of patients, the different things that you see, like, do you think that's why it took five years for you to feel somewhat comfortable with that? I think a lot of it was, again, my perfectionism. So <laughs> I, so I think there was that I worked in a, I don't anymore work in that medical ICU, but at the time we saw everything except for hearts. Hearts went to a different facility, sure. but we saw yeah. the neuros, the sepsis, the DKAs, yeah. the GI bleeds, all of it. So there was just a lot to learn. There was just a, a lot of variety. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the first year I was physically ill every day that I walked into the unit. I think that's, I think that's, I, but I think that's a really important thing for people to know. I think that's Mm -hmm. a really important thing for nursing students to know is that like during orientation, especially, especially Mm -hmm. you're like, I, like even doing my podcast the entire time, even doing all of that and, and kind of having some, some overarching perspective of, of how things go and how careers go and all of that stuff. Like there are so many times where I was just like, my God, I I don't know if I can make it through this orientation shift. Like I'm so stressed, just, just pulling into the parking lot, Mm -hmm. like, and seeing how many cars are, you know, in the, in the, in the patient parking lot for specifically the ER. Cause we have like a specific lot just for right. the ER patients separate from. So you could kind of get hospital. an idea of what you were walking into at work. Every oh my day. gosh. Yeah. And so it's just like looking at that and just going and just being so stressed out, mm-hmm. so stressed out about, about like what's to come and just being like, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this. Right. Like I, like I really don't. And, and, and that's, and I think that's an important thing to understand that will happen. And if mm-hmm. it doesn't, I think you're a dangerous nurse. Right. I feel like if you're like, Oh, it's going to be fine. I got this. <laughs> like, no, you don't. <laughs> on day three, on day three. Oh, it's going to be fine. But like you're going to kill somebody. Oh yeah. Please don't. Yeah. No. <laughs> so I think it was good. I had that hyper awareness, you know, it wasn't a fear that paralyzed me, but it certainly made me extremely careful and very stressed think, out for a long but time. But I think you like, but I think for your line of work in an ICU, I think that that attitude is proper, mm-hmm. is proper. And, and in, on my side, on the ER side, uh, there's a lot more of that kind of wild, wild west <laughs> yeah. Like we deal with a lot of ambiguity. Yeah. And, and and um in one of my previous episodes I had uh um Fire Department Chronicles, uh Jason from Fire Department Chronicles on and he, we talked about like EMS. 
Mm-hmm. And 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 the level of of ambiguity that those guys deal with oh, yeah. makes makes us sound like we're just like in this posh, you know, <laughs> you know, in this posh job or whatever, you know, because they really walk into people's houses. Oh yeah. My husband's and, a firefighter. Oh, I hear oh it all gosh. the time. Oh my gosh. So so the level of ambiguity between ER and ICU, I think is is probably one of the hallmark differences. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's what separates that's what separates us a lot is that we deal with a lot more ambiguity and we're dealing with more like like we're starting from zero treatment. And yeah. and by the time like I consider by the time I'm sending somebody up to a like a med surge unit, for example, that patient, they their their labs are more or less uh, imbalance. Um, we've corrected, we've corrected hemoglobin if they needed blood, uh, we've corrected, uh, uh, electrolyte imbalances They're, you know, they've got fluid on board. They've, you know, I've mm-hmm. cleaned them up cause they come in and they're in all kinds of states of like, um, I, I think it's kind of funny when, when I see memes, <laughs> when I see memes about like med surge nurses, uh, giving ER nurses uh, a hard time about like, well, they pooped in the elevator, the patient pooped in the elevator or something like that. I was like, well, first off, I'm not transporting my own patients because I'm, you know, I think everybody above a level three is is like they have transportation aids and stuff like that because oh, okay. they're a big enough hospital. Mm-hmm. So we're not transporting them anyway. So like, look, when they left me, they were clean. They were fine. Like, they were fine. Like, yeah. and, and you should have seen them when they arrived because, exactly. you know, they, uh, I, without going into extreme detail and getting into gross detail about the things that I see on a, on a nightly basis, you know, when people come in, they're wearing, you know, l- like layers upon layers of briefs and, and pads and this stuff. And they're all, output soaked mm-hmm. how's how's that for putting it gently that's They're that's i've i've seen that <laughs> and so you know by the time they come through like i'm the i'm the nurse like i try to get them as cleaned up as i possibly can mm-hmm. um and you know like i try to get them to that point but if they poop in the elevator they poop in the elevator that's not my deal it happens <laughs> it happens it does, it does happen so one um, of the things i think sure. you are really like the theme of a lot of that, Michael, is that if you're going to work in the ER, you need to be comfortable with being really uncomfortable a lot of the time. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So what kind of training would a new grad get in an emergency room? Um, well, so orientation, let's, so if I'm talking about orientation, orientation is going to be a steep learning curve. And, and I mean, when I say steep, I mean steep learning curve. Um, there's there's a lot of extra pressure because there's there's so much variability, mm-hmm. um, and so orientation is going to be longer. Like my my sister in law is also a nurse, and she was actually it's kind of cool. She's a nurse on the floor that I did my preceptorship at. And I introduced the manager there to her or her to whichever way it went. But mm-hmm. I was just like, uh, if you think that I am at all worthy of working on your floor, uh, 
she's like 10 times better than me, 10 times smarter. You should absolutely like, like hire this, hire this person because you will be 10 times better for it. And, you know, and she was like a charge nurse in six months, you know, you know, uh, like she's brilliant. She's Mm -hmm. absolutely brilliant. So, um, yeah. So anyway, so the, uh, so your, your orientation is going to be longer and, um, and then you, in a unit like an ER, the breadth of knowledge you need to attain to be able to work independently as a nurse, I think is pretty vast. So orientation um, isn't going to be a relaxing experience, you know, and if your preceptor is good, if your preceptor is good, they're going to bring you to the edge of being overwhelmed because, because they have to try to dance that line between volume and experience to to prepare you to be a safe Mm -hmm. clinician. Um, And that's a really, that's really hard. Like I, I give, I give credit to a lot of the, the, the preceptors who have the ability to, to balance that because the ability to, to give you volume without getting, without bringing you to the point where you can't learn stuff because you're just so busy is, is very difficult. Um, And in my own experience, I struggled a lot with the, with a high volume and high acuity of, of my ER. And, um, I'm grateful for that hardship and mm-hmm. that butt whooping. <laughs> <laughs> you probably learned a lot from it. I'm, I'm grateful for it now. I'm grateful yeah. for it now because at the time I, I recall many occasions, you know, driving up to the hospital, like I said, where it's just like, it's like, I, you know, it's, it's three minutes before I'm supposed to clock in like, and uh, I'm kind of wondering if it's too late to call out. <laughs> it probably is. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, Alaska has some, has a bunch of empty lots and I just, I have a little bit extra money. Maybe I just buy one of those and move up there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I, I think it's important for new grads, regardless of what unit you go to. I think it's important, uh, to remember that you don't learn to be a nurse until you get to your unit. Because mm-hmm. the things that Nurse Mo had to learn as an ICU nurse are so different, so different than the things that I had to learn as as an ER nurse, right. and that's different from a floor nurse because you can have a you know a cardiac unit, you can have or a cardiac tele unit, you can have a neuro unit. Neuro units are extremely hard, mm-hmm. and you have to learn very different things there. Uh, if you're, if you're going into the OR, those are very different different skills. It's a, it's a whole different thing. So, so I don't think that it's healthy for nursing students to expect that, uh, that when they arrive on a new job, that they have the ability to be an effective nurse. You're not going to be a nurse on day one. Like you have your RN, God bless you. Like, like nobody is going to take that away from you. And, and we love you that, that you're there on the unit, but don't have the expectation. I I think it's healthier for you to not have the expectation that you're going to be effective. I think that's it. I think it's critical for your own mental health that you go into the situation expecting that your life is going to suck and you suck at your job (laughs) because not and not because you're stupid, right? But because but because you have so much to learn, right? Because um, 
my friend Mark Klimek uh, from Klimek Reviews, he would say that nursing school uh, teaches you how to be a novice generalist. Yes. And that gives you that gives you a, a very basic foundation. Nursing school gives you a very basic foundation of what uh, what you need to know in order to be a nurse. But in order for you to be an ICU nurse, like Nurse Mo, mm-hmm. or an ER nurse like me, or uh, an OR nurse, or a, or a neurofloor nurse, or a cardiac unit nurse, are very different. So that's... Yeah, I think a lot of students are shocked when they start working to realize how much they don't know and how much learning there is still to do. So that's a good reminder there. The, the, the thing that I kind of say is, is that, you know, one of the, what I wish that students would realize on the day that they graduate and that they, and the day that they pass their NCLEX is that, is that now their education begins, right? Like there's more learning ahead of you than there is behind you. And that's where your real education gets is that once Mm -hmm. you start your job, because, you know, do, do I, there's tons of stuff that I don't know. I like, I'm continually surprised and, and pleased and pleased, um, that there's so much for me to learn. Um, we get, we get nurses who come in and they want to come to the, the ER from, from the ICU or something like that. And I love talking to those. I love talking to those nurses because they're so smart about stuff. You know, it's like, well, this is, you know, if you look at this, this is, this means that it's pre-renal or it's a pre-renal problem. And if you look at this, like this is, this is intra-renal and this is, you know, and it's just like, wow, how, like, how did you know that? Like, that's so cool. Like, you know, they've taken care of a million patients in renal failure. Right. And, for days and on end. Yeah. For days and weeks and months yeah. <laughs> on end. <laughs> yes. So like, like, like what I like about the, the nursing profession is that there's so much to learn and, and it's, um, and I have so many opportunities to do so. And mm-hmm. I like that. And I like that. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the personality traits that would make someone successful in the ER. Like I, I used to think I would be a good ER nurse. And then I realized I probably don't have the personality for it. And now I know I don't because I mm. have to have a controlled environment. And I, I like controlled chaos. I just, I don't know. I don't think that I would have the right mindset for it. I, I, I respectfully disagree. I think everybody can be an ER nurse. Really? I think you can, I think, I think, um, for people like you who need to have a control, like an element of control of that, I think that. I think that you would be an excellent ER nurse because because you exude control on a situation, because you are taking a chaotic situation, a chaotic patient, a patient that has so many different things going on, and you have the ability to go important, 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 not important, not important, not important, and, and prioritize things and then exude control and and order on that chaos and i think that is so important i think that is i think that is just 
like the ability and the knowledge in order to exude control in a situation is one of the principal things uh, that I think are important for you to be uh, for you to have as an ER nurse. And, and so I think people who are ICU nurses who really want, like they want each of their. <laughs> are you going to talk their, about labeling my lines? Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's real. No, like I, like I love know, to label my lines. I don't judge. No, <laughs> I don't No, I don't. That's, that's a thing. Like I, like I'm in, I'm in the middle of a, I'll, you know, I'll have patients that are like, I take care of patients who are going to ICU and I'll have them for hours. And, you know, so I get a glimpse into the life that you have. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, I've got, I've got two different lines or, or more, like I've, I've had three different lines in, uh, in patients and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And I've got, I've got two different, uh, bolus fluids going. So I'll, I'll have like normal saline and I'll have something else going, you know, I don't know, whatever, you know, whatever the deal is. Um, I'll have heparin, I'll have, um, uh, cefepime or ceftraxone and vanco and this, you know, and, and potassium going, and I'll have all of these stuff. And I'm just looking at all this going, I've got seven pumps. Holy bananas. Like, <laughs> like which one is which? And of course I'm, I'm the person I hate tangled lines. I can't, I can't take that. I can't take that. So I think there's a little bit of ICU nurse inside me and, uh, uh and, yeah. So I just like, I've got all that stuff going. So even if, even if you are the person who you think you want to be an ER nurse because you don't have the same kind of kind of Virgo, <laughs> are you, are you a Virgo by the way? No. <laughs> so, but like kind of that, that need for, you yes. know, that, that need for structure, that need for, for mm -hmm. order in the chaos. I think you can still be a very, very successful ER nurse. I think, I think that, uh, uh, the ER takes all types. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, uh, but I, but I think of all of the things that you need to have as an ER nurse, and it doesn't matter if you're in a level five trauma center or a, you're a level one trauma center, you gotta have a lot of hustle. Yeah. Um, there are a couple of ICU nurses, uh, who, who I follow on Instagram and I won't name them because, because I think they're jerks, and I say that tongue in cheek because I love them. Um, but uh, like <laughs> one of them talked about, like, well, I'm gonna, I'm pretty tired, so I'm gonna nap for the last four hours of my shift. I'm like, you rotten ICU nurse, you're a horrible. Hopefully, person. they're being sarcastic, right? No, I don't think they are. <laughs> like, but you know, they, 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 you know, when things are going well and they have intubated and sedated uh, patients and stuff like that. They're kind of on cruise control for the rest of the cruise, shift. Yeah, they're on cruise control. And so they can kind of do because that. Because you and, get and, all your work done early, Michael. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's the thing. Like I, I I make a joke with my charge nurses like, OK, well, I like I sent all my all three of my patients upstairs. Right. Or or I got real my patients like I can go home now. Right. Sorry. Not how nope. that works. Here's I'm getting, I'm going to get, yeah, I'm going to get three septic patients all at the same time. And so like, I'm going to be like, you know, at the very edge of control for me mm -hmm. all at the same time. But I, you have to have a lot of, a lot of hustle. Like I don't sit much at all. Um, and we're always flying around like all of us. And, and, uh, you know, it's, it's one of the things that I think you have to come out of orientation or one of the things I had to come out of orientation for was, 
was understanding, um, understanding who I could go to for help. Mm-hmm. So like when I had three septic patients at the same time, I had, I, I knew that I could go to one of my stab nurses if, if our stab rooms um, or if our critical care rooms were, were, were not hopping at the time. And I could go to one of them and be like, Hey, like, can you start a line in, mm-hmm. in you know, like start a line, get, get cultures and, and get labs for this per- person and, you know, get some, get some fluids running on this person. And I'll be in there and like, 10 minutes, but I need like 10 minutes right. because I've got these two other patients that are just crazy. Um, uh, the other night I had, uh, a COVID positive whiny, uh, histrionic needy patient in DKA. Oh, fun. <laughs> Next to a severe sepsis person. And then I had this like, and then I had this like patient who was basically just waiting for transport and uh, and the guy who was waiting for transport, or the patient who was waiting for transport, was was like, "Hey, I need this." And um, the difference between a floor nurse and an ER nurse is 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 I looked at him and go, "I cannot think of a single thing that that is a lower priority right now for me than changing a clean dressing for you." Mm-hmm. Like yeah. it's not it's not important, and I'm I'm sorry to say that, but just you just need to wait for transport. So. And the guy, you know, and, and the patient was like, fair enough. I was like, okay. thank you. Yes. I mean, like, I'm sorry. Like, I don't mean to be mean to you, but I'm just saying, like, I'm just being honest with you. Right. I'm being, I'm being a human with you in, in saying that, like, I've got these two extremely sick patients and you have a clean dressing right. in this example. You have a clean dressing that doesn't need to be changed. And I don't care about it. I don't mm-hmm. because that is, that is not a critical, that's not a critical task. And, and again, like if we're talking about characteristics for people who need to be nurses or, or people who want to be ER nurses, it's the ability to separate critical tasks and prioritize those versus non-critical tasks. So, so just like everybody else who works in a hospital, you're going to ask for, you're going to get asked for, for water all the time and be like, all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I'll get, I'll, 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 I'll get, I'll get to you. Yep. I'll, yeah. I'll get to you. And th- I have no idea when. Right. I, I usually would say something along the lines of, I totally get that you, you need that. There's a really good chance I'm going to forget because of all the other things that I need to do right now to mm-hmm. keep you alive. If I don't <laughs> bring your water, please remind me. <laughs> later because i'm likely to forget you're getting drinks of water through the ivy i have running for you, you so just chill. Not, yes you are getting you're getting your water right now that's tongue-in-cheek guys that's tongue-in-cheek i yes. don't i don't yes. tell people to chill no <laughs> well, very, very often um yeah so i i think <laughs> it's really good for students to hear like what an er nurse's day is like um Talk a little bit about multitasking. So the really successful ER nurses in my mind are the ones who are multitasking masters. You can't be, you can't be uh, what I call a completionist. Uh, Cause if you are, you'll, you're going to hate the ER. You, you, um, so I'm a dad, I own a house 
And the, the comparison I make is that like when I start a project at the house, it'll be usually like I start this thing, but then in the middle of that project, be like, well, in order for me to complete this, I need this specific tool that I don't have. So I have to go out and get that tool. And then, and then I get to this point and it's like, well, in order for me to do this, I have to do this other secondary project. And so like each project or each thing that you have to do has secondary and tertiary things uh-huh. off to the side of it that you have to do in order for your primary task to work. That sounds um, like you and my husband have been building the same deck because it's been years now. <laughs> How did you know I was building a deck? It's so I don't know. You, it's, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Is everybody building a deck right now? So like there's uh, there's so many times I, I I can't tell you how many times I have been like in the middle of a in the middle of a project and uh, or or in the middle of a task and I get I and I get uh, a call or or something else happens to, for one of my patients like we get a critical lab value back or something like that and I have to stop what I'm doing in order to go take care of that thing and it could be. And it could be two or three or five different things for two or three different patients. Mm-hmm. And then eventually I have to remember to come back to what I was doing before. Yes. And um, one of the things that uh, one of the major differences that I've, they've, that I've only kind of started to begun to realize um, is that uh, like uh, it was, it was odd because we'll get nursing students every once in a while in the, in the department mm-hmm. and they'll be like, uh, they'll be printing off like the clinical brains. You remember clin- clin- oh, yeah. like you, you have I love a, a brain of, sheet. Oh, you will love brain sheets. <laughs> I have never used one ever. No, if you could use one in the ER. I it's, it's literally not possible because yeah. you, because you can't take the time right. to, to fill it out. Like there's too much, there's, there's too many things going on. You'd never be able to it's just not, it's not a useful tool. Right. Like, so everything's got to be up here. Everything's mm-hmm. got to be in your brain and like your actual brain, not your, you know, not piece of paper sheet. brain, yeah. not your brain sheet. Um, and you have a bunch, don't you? You have a bunch on, on your website. I do. Yeah. I don't have one and for ER because I just, I do not know how that would work. I don't know how that would, I can't even help you with that. Yeah. I wish I could. I wish I could, but like the, the, and I used one for, for clinicals and I used one for the neuro, uh, the mm-hmm. neuro unit I worked on. And they're a great tool. Like if you find the right one that works well for you and for the, for the patient load that you have, they're a great tool, but you can't use those. And, and so like, you can't be a completionist and you have to be able to remember the stuff that you were doing and the stuff that you got interrupted doing Mm-hmm. to do other things and then remember to come back around to that to complete it. So otherwise you'll wake up in the middle of your sleep and go <laughs> I you you might got you to might. do no whatever I, I I think I think in the ER um by the time a patient is ready for uh for admission by the time they're gonna go up to the ICU or mm-hmm. they're gonna go to a floor unit or something like that, they're stable and all of the stuff that needs to get done is done. So I don't ever wake up in the middle of the night going, Did I get that patient a glass of water? Okay. That's good. I don't I don't ever out. I don't ever think that. Like uh, okay, that's and, good. 
and maybe that's a fault of mine. I'm I'm willing to admit that. No, that I, I think it's healthy to leave work faults. at work. <laughs> leave it there. No, I, but I think you have to be very focused, and mm-hmm. I think it's really easy to get distracted by the complex needs of patients. Uh, you know, of their whole life and their chronic ongoing problems, and it's and it's kind of funny that that when we're giving floor nurses report, for example, they ask about like a skin assessment because that's a huge deal for patients who are on the floor. Like that's a huge deal, you know, but, but for me, like when, when a patient comes in for like an C for like a COPD exacerbation Mm -hmm. or acute cardiac issue, we're not, I'm not looking at the skin. Right. I'm, I'm just not, I'm just not. And that doesn't mean that I, that I haven't for some patients who, are very complex and they're coming in for like a, like a fill, like great examples. I had this uh, kind of failure to thrive patient, Mm -hmm. uh, vulnerable adult. And, and I did like, I did a full exhaustive head to toe on this patient. I did every, this patient had been bed bound for two months, like a skin assessment, even though that's not the main reason that they came in for like, this was something that was important to their, to their health. And I did like a, I did like the full thing. Um, and then, you know, in addition to everything else. So it, it's, it's, but for the most part, for the most part, like if they're coming in for a COPD or some kind of cardiac issue mm-hmm. or something, I'm not looking at a skin assessment. Right. So, so like when uh, a floor nurse had asked me like, well, what's their skin look like? I'm like peach colored. You know, I don't know. <laughs> the parts I saw looked great. They're uh, they've got some really funky toenails. Uh, I don't know. Well, that would be everybody, <laughs> almost. I have beautiful feet. Right? Yes, of course. <laughs> um, okay, so how many patients do you typically care for at one time? Like, what's the patient load in the ER? Um. So typically in my ER, uh, three which is, which is, um, amazing, amazing. Uh, but I think because of the, the high level trauma center we're in, that's, that's pretty much like, um, uh, again, to use the same example that where I had the DKA patient, the, the septic mm-hmm. patient, and then the, you know, the, the patient with the, the, the neck dressing. Yeah. Um, I was, like I didn't do anything for the guy in the, in the neck dressing because I got him to the point where it's just like, you're just waiting for transport. I'm sorry. Like none of your needs are acute right now. I don't care. Right. So I did basically nothing for that patient. Um, you know, I got them water and, you know, a couple of the small short things or whatever, but nothing that took any real time. Um, and I was completely overwhelmed for about two hours, uh, with the, those other, with those right. other two patients. And, uh, and I was at the very edge of my limit. Like I talked to other nurses and I'm like, I'm completely overwhelmed with these two. Like, like I'm like, I, I'm at the very edge of my ability to control, uh, to, to, and to, to manage the tasks that are needed for these two patients. So, you know, I, I, I am in no way, uh, uh, under, a misconception that I'm not spoiled to freaking death that mm-hmm. I only have three patients in an ER because I know a lot of ERs who are, that are, that are doing more. Yeah. Uh, 
I don't know. I don't know how that's possible. I how really do don't it. know how that's possible. They must have like some amazing like techs and and also NAs or something Maybe. like that at the same time. Because yeah. you know, because I I I'm the one who turns over all my rooms when a patient leaves. I'm the one who toilets all my patients. Mm-hmm. I do basically. I'm a hundred percent of that patient's needs, yeah. except for EKGs and like secondary blood draws, which I'm like I don't ask techs to do anyway because I was a tech prior. So mm-hmm. I don't need them for that, but, but, uh, no, but that's, that's typically something. So I have three patients though. Recently, um, bed availability has been a big issue. Yeah. Us too. Uh, and, and, and I'll be honest with you that probably the, I mean, obviously, Hey, if you haven't watched the news, COVID is a thing. However, however, uh, the, the news, the, the way the news presents in my area, at least is that they're like, well, 98% of beds are, are taken, you know, in our Metro area. And they, they're always doing it in the context of COVID, but mm-hmm. COVID patients are probably 20 to 25% of our total volume. So not really a lot. It's just, we're still at a hundred percent of what we always see the, all the, t- the, air quote, typical stuff that we yeah. always see. It's just 20 or 25% above that is right. this other thing that takes that where patient care takes a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we sit on patients. So, so in, in the ER, we have what we call medical borders. And so we'll sit on, you know, 20, 20 a night. So that's, oh, wow. that's a hundred percent of our ER capacity uh, for the number of nurses that we have at five o'clock in the morning or something like that, you know, all the rooms that we have available for the mm-hmm. staff that we have are medical boarders and we'll have patients out, out in the waiting room for six hours for normal, again, right. Air quote, normal issues, the regular things. Yeah. The regular stuff that for. comes into the ER at, at, at any time. Um, and, uh, you know, so I'm taking, so I'll, uh, like, for example, uh, so that my point is, I'll have three medical boarders and I'll just tell my, my charge nurse me like, look, I'm just sitting on these patients. Like they don't need anything. And if they do, I can handle it. I'm going to open up these other three rooms, stock them full of people so I can get them. So I'll take six, seven. Mm-hmm. I've ended shifts with eight patients. Oh, wow. Um, Cause like some of them, like if they come in and they're a, uh, what's called for us, it's ESI. It's like a, it's like a, resource and acuity measurement tool Mm -hmm. that we use. So ESI four, which is low for us, like very low for us. Um, And we'll just stick them in. It's like, okay, it's, it's things like, um, like a toothache, you know, they need a, they need a Mm -hmm. metal block or something like that. And so they'll get that and then they move on. So it's a lot to do for a very short amount of time. And then I can get, and then I can move them off and we'll just take care of them. So I'll take four or sometimes five of those, on top of my medical orders. Um, but typically for me in, in my department, three is th- mm-hmm. three is normal. Wow. And, that's good. And yeah, like that's like, I think, and I think that's a, that's a good number in the, at the level trauma center center I'm at for the, the high acuity patients that I have three patients is the edge of control. Like right. that's, that's manageable mm-hmm. more than that is not. To right. Me. Yeah. 
So for the students that are listening, if you don't know what Michael's talking about, a patient in DKA, diabetic ketoacidosis, very busy, lots of things to do initially, tons of fluids, <laughs> tons of blood sugar checks, tons of labs, tons of electrolyte replacements and watching. It's busy. Um, and then the septic patient also has a, basically, as soon as a patient screens for sepsis, a stopwatch starts. Yep. And you've got all these things that you pretty much have to do within a very specific set amount of yeah, time. Yeah, it's like a, there's a, for, it, it's, it's two lines, um, all the labs drawn and, um, and, let's let's say two liters of water it's yeah. not it's it's done by weight but let's say two liters of water in a 30 minute period yeah. uh, but all the labs have to come out in about 10 minutes and that, that includes like them getting roomed which can take two or three minutes by itself yeah. and then you go in and do your thing decide what you're going to do order the labs get get everything printed off and you have to have everything uh labeled to the to the lab in about 10 minutes and it's, so it's an extremely important uh, time-driven event, and 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 nurses will often get uh, kind of called to the carpet if they're not like it's like some patient like okay, there's nothing you can do about that. Mm -hmm. It took 20 minutes, big deal. Yeah. Your average is under this amount of time, but if you're like 30 minutes for that kind of stuff on a regular basis, like that's a big deal. Yeah, and so that, there's that a lot of pressure not, to be quick. A lot of pressure. Yeah. Okay. And, and I want thank you, to... you. And thank you for that because I, I just, yes. you know, just like, like every other nurse who's talking about like doing shop talk and stuff like that. Like there's, there's tons of those tasks that we mm -hmm. just kind of assume that people understand what we're talking about. Right. And, and from a, from a, from a practical standpoint, uh, again, the value that nurse Mo and content driven podcasts and services like hers has is that they give you, they give you that kind of content. And I don't, um, I just expect there's like, if I say I've got a DKA patient, you should just know like, holy crap, that's a yeah. lot of stuff. You're busy. <laughs> yeah. For like okay. four hours. You're screwed. <laughs> okay. So speaking about patients, um, you were going to talk a little bit about just a little bit of a scenarios of some patients that you've had that really bring home what ER nursing is like. So tell me about the chest pain guy that you had. Um, okay. So let me, let me think that, so that this guy was, he came in for chest pain and it was like, just nothing made sense. We, we did a trope. It was, it was negative. We did a CT and an X-ray, not conclusive. Uh, we were going to discharge them. And I spoke with a doc um, a couple of times and I just kept saying, I, like, he's like, what do you think the deal is? And I'm like, I, I don't know. I just don't get it. Like, I just don't, I don't, I don't have a good feeling about this. And that's mm -hmm. what I said to him. And I was just like, I don't have a good feeling about this. Mm -hmm. And he is the, uh, he's the medical director for um, my systems EMS. He's one of my absolute favorite docs to work with because mm -hmm. he's so good at prioritization. He's so good at sifting through stuff and getting right to the basis. He's, he's like, Yep. Critical, not critical, critical, not critical, critical, not critical, and sending them to the appropriate level of care for, for what they need and be like, not critical, follow up with your primary care, not critical, follow up with your primary care. Uh, 
son, you're going to trauma, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I just, I just told him, like, I told him multiple times, like, I just don't feel good about this guy. Like, like there's something and I don't know what it is. Um, and I was still in my first year of nursing. So, you know, I, I lacked a lot of that experience. I, I just didn't have the, I didn't have the experience to say, this is what I think it was. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it, and again, like, I think this guy is probably one of the best ER, ER docs in the country. Like he's gotta be. So while I felt there was something wrong, I didn't know what it could have been. And, and, and the pain seemed like it was more than something that is just simple angina, um, mm-hmm. or angina or however people, different people say it. Uh, the doc went back in and he came out to me and he was like, I was going to discharge him, but I don't feel right about him either something's just not right. And so we did an ultrasound and sure enough, he had a wicked aortic dissection. Wow. It was, it was wicked. And like, I got him over to like, I brought, like, I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> like grab the, grab the, grab the clutches on that, on that bed, whisked him over to, to uh, uh CT. We did another CT on him. The cardiac doctor met me there with his like phone mounted, uh, uh, ultrasound thing, and he's like, "Look at this!" And you're just seeing this, this oh, thing flapping inside the aorta. Oh, it was so neat. It was so cool. And yet, and I'm looking at the patient going. Suddenly, I mean, this guy had been here for four hours. Oh my god! Looked fine, and, and right, all the labs came back, all the scans came back, everything came back fine, and just, and yet, and yet something's just not right. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden I get this guy to, to CT and the doc meets me down there and he's doing the ultrasound, like handheld ultrasound and shows me this, this, uh, this dissection. And if you don't understand what a dissection is, so, so there are multiple layers within each one of our vessels and in the aorta, it's a, it's a really big deal. If it start, if those layers separate, because then you're sending blood in between the layers of the veins which is really bad because um, if you have a uh, an, an aneurysm or a burst or something like that, you're sending blood to the wrong areas. Yes, it's not physiologically Internally. available. Just just because a just because blood is still in the body doesn't mean <laughs> it's doing anything. It's it's doing what it's supposed to be doing, and it's very painful. So these and, patients often have pain. But but he but his pain was minor. I mean, right. it was just like one of those things where he goes, "I just don't feel right," you know. But yeah. it didn't have the typical. It didn't have like the typical, you know, knife like, knife like, like a pain that goes from your chest all the way through your back, which is which is very very common. That's a test question, guys. That was definitely on your NCLEX. The and, typical and, pain for AAA. And and he had like blue lips. But like in CT and now I'm like, like after this, this whole time, like it, there was probably a five minute period where all of this stuff and uh, all this stuff mm-hmm. happened all at the same time. And suddenly I am sweating bullets. I'm just like, oh my God, like, and the cardiac and the cardiac, again, the cardiac surgeon is there and you know, he's like, look at this. This is wicked. And I'm like, take him to surgery, you jackass. Like, go, 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 go. So did he get his surgery? He did get his surgery. And um, 
And as far as I know, like everything turned out fine. Wow. Uh, but uh, yeah, but he left us and he left us in, in, in need of that cardiac surgeon's uh, services. And as far as I know, we caught everything in time, wow. but it was, but it was, but it was one of those things where it's just like, yeah. And I, and I still talk to that doc about it and be like, <laughs> I'll get, I'll get, I'll get a patient with this doc who's got chest pain. And I'm like, you know, it's just that little feeling yeah. inside and be like, it, what if it's, what if is it happening again? again? <laughs> is it going to happen again with this doc? Oh you know? my gosh. Uh, and then, and then what's, oh God. So, uh, the, the second, the second story or, or patient mm-hmm. story I'll, I'll have is like that same night with that same doc, we got this little old lady in for abdominal pain and she came from a memory care unit. Um, no other complaints other than, you know, abdominal pain. And, uh, I was the second nurse. I think it was the second nurse, maybe the third to take care of her because of, uh, um, assignment changes and stuff like that, that sometimes happen. And so we did a CT by the, by the time I grabbed her, uh, uh, we did a CT and she had a ruptured AAA. Wow. And she's in her nineties. She's in a memory care unit. Um, and then, uh, this was, this was early on in, um, uh, in the COVID pandemic and stuff like that. We tested her, her result came back positive. Oh, so she's, she's now, uh, a 90 year old woman who is COVID positive in a memory care unit with, with, uh, pretty severe to dement- dementia, um, and family came in and this is one of those areas. Uh, this is when no, we were like no visitors whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I was just like, no, we are bringing whatever family shows up. I'm going to bring in screw, screw your stupid rules, right. screw your stupid policy. They're going to come in and they're going to see mom. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and I advocated hard for that. And, the, and mm-hmm. I met, I met a little bit of resistance, but, but I'm forceful enough. And I was pretty well known within the department for, for being not stupid. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and I got them all in and then, um, I called up to the floor cause she was going to go up to the floor and, uh, uh, the, the floor was like no visitors. And I'm like, yeah, you're going to take a visitor. If I tell you, you're going to get a visitor, you're going to have this visitor who is going to come like one of their children. Mm-hmm. is going to come up with you if they decide that that's what they're going to do and you're just going to have to deal with it. Um, and that's part of that patient advocacy part. Right. Uh, that's so important in nursing school. And um, and she was just, uh, this is, sorry, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a little choked up on her because she was, she was so pleasant. She was yeah, so, she was, she was such an awesome patient. She was so, so sweet and so pleasant. Mm. And she was such a joy to take care of. Mm-hmm. And, and then when all of these things kind of came together, mm-hmm. it was devastating. It was devastating because like this, the surgeons, like we're, we're not, we can't do anything. Like we're not, you know, yeah. at the time, we're just not going to do, we're just not going to risk all of that, all, yeah. of, all of these things all at the same time. So we're not going to operate. And um, so she agreed that, uh, you know, she was going to remain or going to be DNR, DNI, and they weren't going to treat it. And so the, the family came in and they did um uh they said their goodbyes and 
sent the patient up and stuff like that. And, and she actually, she actually lasted a long while, but like, you know, from, from the time that I got her mm-hmm. until she left my care, like her stomach had visibly gotten bigger and stuff like that. So she was leaking pretty good. Like she was, yeah, she was bleeding internally. Right. Um, and there's, I mean, there was nothing I could, uh, there was nothing I could do, but it was, it was, that's, that's part of the, I guess that's one of the curses of the ER is that, is that you, the, the really great experiences, like I will always remember her. I will always remember her. And she was, again, she was so great. And her family uh, was so great. Yeah. of course. And, and like she died. I mean, she died. I mean, there, right. was, there was nothing I could do for her mm-hmm. uh, from my perspective. Uh, but, but truly one of the, the, one of the greatest experiences of, of my life and of my career as a nursing, as a nurse. And it's bittersweet. And you're going to have a lot of those, I think. Mm-hmm. And especially in the ER, because you're not going to find resolution for so many of the patients that you have. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's a tough part of the job, but it's, it comes with it. And when you can be the advocate and you can help someone have the most peaceful, pain-free end of life transition, that feels really good. Yeah, I don't, I don't get a lot of those. And, and to contrast, I'm going to share a third story. Okay. Is this a fun story <laughs> or at least a happier story? I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> that must be your evil laugh. <laughs> so I had this, I had this drunk patient come in and saying that they had gotten into an argument and air quotes fell down a full flight of outdoor stairs and this patient was really antsy and really irritated. And uh, um, I, pu- I put him into a sea collar and he kept trying to rip it off. And, oh, excuse me. <laughs> so I got a meds. I got an IV. I ordered scans, did all that stuff. And he just like couldn't wait any longer and started getting really aggressive. And I'm a big person. Like I'm 6'2". I'm... 250 pounds. I'm a former U S army infantryman. I've got a good physical presence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this guy was probably a hundred pounds less and eight inches shorter than I was. And, and he's like, you know, you can't stop me. You see these tattoos. That means I was in prison, you know, and you don't want to stop me from leaving if I want to. <laughs> I was like, Come on, come on, dude! Don't make me do this. Like, don't make me do this. <laughs> you know. And so, you try to use that therapeutic communication. You oh, yeah. Soothing, soothing, soothing voice, and because it's like, again, from my past, it's so easy to just slip into that. Like, listen, bro. <laughs> right. <laughs> don't, don't, don't make me do this. Yes, Cause exactly. Because I, I can. Um, but you know, you try to, you try to take a different path and, and mm-hmm. so you just like, just give a little time, you know, imaging results are almost back, you know, then we'll see what's up and then just, just, just hang out for a little while longer. Hey, can I get you, you know, can I get you something to eat? Can Turkey I get you sandwich. a Sprite? Can I, you know, like I've got some graham crackers, I got some peanut butter, you know, got a little bit of comfort food going on. Like, <laughs> like hook you up, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hook you up. And then it was at that time that he told me that like he got into 
the argument over meth and 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 admitted that he had done a bunch of meth that day and that's what started the argument and so i ended up asking for a hold and and um and as i'm doing all this he starts really i mean there's aggressive and then there's like over the top aggressive and he Mm -hmm. like jump he didn't step over the line he jumped over that line mm-hmm. and um and starts freaking out rips his sea collar off and i call for security for backup and he just keeps he just keeps going it just keeps getting more and more aggressive and it's more and more out of control and and i was just like at, at one point i was just like okay security grab him he's going to the back um which means into our like secure Mm-hmm. mental health suite you know there's there's nothing in the rooms it's just it's just a simple bed you know there's 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 nothing and it's a locked unit and he's holdable so it was appropriate to, to you know for for me to make that decision um and he's trying to leave and he's threatening staff and just being extremely disruptive to the to the to the rest of the patients um who are on the floor like like to the point where by extremely in need other sick patients look at me like as I go in the room and they can hear him yelling and screaming in the other room. They're just like, go take care of that. Like, I'm fine. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll catch you later, Mm -hmm. you know, no problem, you know? (laughs) And they had real needs and they had like real actual acute needs to do. And they're just like, we're good. We're good. We'll, 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 we'll go get some water on our own. Yeah, exactly. Um, And so we, you know, as we start to bring them back, CT results publish, I call the doc and she hasn't seen him yet. And they're, they're complex. You know, if you've, if you've ever read uh, the interpretation from a, from a radiologist, mm-hmm. <laughs> some of, some of the, some of the results can be difficult to discern, uh, especially for a, for a former infantry with a TBI like me. So I'm just like, I don't know how to interpret this. <laughs> so I go to the doc and I was just like, you know, Hey, I think he's got like a broken neck and a hip. And he's on a hold. He's completely out of control. He's a danger to himself. He's a danger to the other patients. And I ended up giving him, you know, Benadryl, Haldol, Ativan, uh, the combo that I, I like to call the Black Arrow. Other people call it other things. So if you're if you're not a, like a Lord of the Rings Hobbit fan, like the Black Arrow is what took Smog down. Aha. Um, <laughs> Benadryl, Ativan, Haldol. That's a good yep. combo. So it's uh, colloquially, did I say that right? Colloquially, colloquially. I think so. That's uh, that's that's uh, in many places. That's called a B fifty two because it's fifty of Benadryl, five of Haldol, two of Ativan, and it's pretty much a reset button. And mm-hmm. and for some patients, um, they need that because they're just so. Because they, they feel like crap, like they don't want to be acting like they they're acting like that's not what they want to be doing. Mm-hmm. They're they're just they don't feel in control and they don't know how to control what they're doing, and and so it's like a it's like a like when your phone or when your computer is doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Sometimes you just need to turn it off and turn it back on. Mm-hmm. That's that's the turn off button and that's yes. the reset button. So it, and they come back and they're generally like, whoa, that was crazy, like. <laughs> <laughs> and they're just much, it's much more manageable. Yeah. It gives them a little bit of time. We can get some fluid because a lot of times they're dehydrated. We can get an IV started and, and get some of those mm-hmm. other, thera- you know, physically therapeutic things for them and, and just kind of, you know, 
help them out with that. And, and, but that's what it is. Um, and it's, it's, what's crazy is that it's not very often that I'm not able to talk somebody down. Mm -hmm. I'm not the person that you would suspect on my unit. If you, if you took, if you took a gamut, if you lined up all the nurses in my, in my department end to end, and you looked at me versus everybody else, you'd be like, there's no way that that's the person who's the therapeutic <laughs> talker. Uh, but, um, but it works, but like, there's very few that I can't like talk down. Right. And, um, and, and it was just like at the, at the end of an hour or two hours of this, and he was just getting more and more aggressive, more and more, you know, threatening physical violence. Like it was just, that was, that was, that was the end. And, and the unfortunate part is that I had to do that, which is, which is not, great but so my warning kids don't do drugs don't do drugs meth, meth is bad <laughs> meth, meth is bad yes it is um probably see a lot of that sort of stuff in the er for sure but that's you know and that stuff is not typical like that's not a typical day that's those those are those are like the highlights of of things mm -hmm. that happen like a typical day is is a lot um a typical day is more routine a typical mm -hmm. day is, you know, there's, there's 40 people in the waiting room when I, when I get there, they're all various issues. There's ambulances that, that from, from every ambulance service that we have in the area and they're all dropping patients off. Um, and, and, and yes, there's variability from the standpoint, whether it's mental or behavioral issues, sepsis, pediatrics, bariatrics, geriatrics, social work issues, all that stuff, you know, and I get everything from, mild sunburns to gunshot wounds, you know, mm -hmm. sepsis to DKA, severe alcohol withdrawal to paranoid schizophrenia and everything in between. So there's a lot of variability from that standpoint. Um, and again, I feel really lucky because we have a normal patient load of three patients. Um, and I think even with the, the three high acuity patients, it can be really easy to fall behind. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think if there's anything that I want to leave with, with nursing students is that nursing is a team sport. Absolutely. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have, it, it does not matter how many patients you have, whether it's one patient in an ICU, two patients in an ICU or 10 patients in a, in a um, inpatient psych unit, you cannot do the job by yourself. You can't. Right. You can't and and you lean on others and others are going to lean on you and you know nursing staff has to be a cohesive unit and so if you're in school um and and this is and this is where I'm going to turn it kind of back to my to my audience or to my message in in the audience is that you have to learn to ask for help there there are there and and maybe nurse mo can can help me with this or or confirm my suspicions or my experience. Um, but there were so many of those nurses who were like, well, no, I'm going to study alone or no, I don't like group study sessions or whatever else. And they would just, or, you know, they're just doing their own thing. And I think it's really important to learn how to ask for help. And I think it's learn. And if you are not asking for help, you should be asking others if they need help. Yes, absolutely. Um, and, and, and I think that's like, I think some of the nurses in my program 
um, missed that initially. Um, and I think, uh, but I think, I think probably by the, by the time uh, a nurse is in my department for probably three months, Mm-hmm. They know how they to ask it. for help. Yeah, they know how to ask for help. <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree. <laughs> I talk about this. I've talked about this before on the podcast a couple of times that, you know, you're in your prereqs and maybe you're trying to get into a really competitive program. So you mm-hmm. are kind of every man out for himself. I just have to be at the top of my class because I have to get into this program. Yep. But once you're in, you got to set that aside. It, it's more, it needs to become more collegial it needs to become more collaborative i agree and you ask for help you offer help you pull each other over the finish line because when you're working those are the people that are going to save your bacon for sure i I think there's i think there's some some muscle grow growing to that i think Mm -hmm. that that when you are i think you have to you have to learn both sides of that you have to learn both how to ask for help and how to see that others need help. Yes. And, and recognizing when others need help and how to help others. Yeah. I think is, I think is a very important thing for all of us. Not, not, I mean, not just, I mean, everybody to Mm -hmm. learn how to recognize in others, because there's going to be, there's going to be times or, or, or let me, let me rephrase. There are plenty of times where I have asked somebody, I've asked another nurse, Hey, is there anything I can do for you? And they'll, and they'll look at me and they'll just go, no, right, no. And, and you can clearly see that they're just not at a point where they even know right. how to ask for help. Cause they're just so overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And so I'll just look at the charts and be like, Hey, there's some, antibiotics do in this room, I got it. Right. And in very, like, you just have to be able to know how to help people. Right. Yes. And I, and I think that's an extremely important skill to learn. And, and that's best. I think that's best suited to learning in nursing school. Yeah. That's a good reminder. I think so. Definitely. Well, thanks, Michael. This was super fun. I I'm think so, so too. I, it was your I, idea. I, it was a good idea. I've waited so long to get together with you. Like I've, uh, I've been so patient with your busy schedule. Oh, my schedule's insane. Oh, uh, I, I'm blaming you, but I'm really pointing at me. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's been, it's been, it's been a long time coming. I'm so grateful that we were able to get together and, and, and thank you for, you know, bringing me on to your yeah, on your podcast. It's, it's fun. It's, I think uh, everybody's going to love it. And you guys, if you want to hear more from Michael, check out Real Talk School of Nursing podcast. It is awesome. Subscribe to that. And it's like having your uh, your best buddy with you. Kind of like doing a job but first, shadow. But first, if you're going to subscribe to one podcast, uh-huh. one nursing podcast, straight A nursing. Okay. But why not do two? Why not do two? Exactly. (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you so much, Michael. Take care. All right. You too. Take take care. Bye. So there you have it, guys. Another great podcast for you to listen to. Michael is a fantastic nursing student advocate and mentor. So I hope that came through for you a little bit today. And if you want more of that real talk, then check out Real Talk School of Nursing podcast. It is awesome 
awesome and time well spent. I hope you enjoyed this bonus episode as much as I did. See you guys next week. Bye for now. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing. 